You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at both Locked On WBB and, of course, our 24-7 coverage of the women's game at Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat. Make sure you download our app. Make sure you like us on Facebook. Make sure you review us on iTunes. I think that's all the self-promotion that we need to do ahead of a conversation I'm really looking forward to, uh, which is with the newest head coach of the Atlanta Dream, Nikki Collin. Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. A place I'd love to start uh, is a town uh, called Platteville, Wisconsin. <laughs> and uh, sort of take me through, if you could, where you first fell in love with the game and how. Yeah, this one this one's pretty easy for me. Um, you know, I I was living in Indiana uh, when I was five to nine, and I really thought I was going to be the next Chris Ever. Like she was my hero. I wanted to be a tennis player. I wanted to emulate her. Um, and I played all kinds of sports, but I just knew that that was my path. And then my dad changed jobs and took a job in Platteville and, you know, small town, Southwest Wisconsin. Uh, there were a couple tennis courts in the town, but it was just not in the cards for me. And, and, uh, we just happened to have a basketball hoop in our driveway. And so that's kind of where I started. I started playing, um, fourth, fifth grade that time, but I, I really fell in love with the game in fifth grade. Um, it was your typical YMCA league, um, pretty much an all-boys league, and I hit the game-winning shot. Uh, I wasn't the best player, but I, it was in that moment hitting a, a big shot in a big game, a big game at the time, uh, that uh, kind of made me think that this is what I wanted to do. And so when you think this is what you want to do, I mean, at that time, we're not even talking about the WNBA, which doesn't exist right uh, right at that point. So what was your path in your mind? You obviously you know, had the opportunity uh, to go to college and uh, ultimately succeeded there wildly, taking Purdue to a Final Four, taking Marquette to the tournament. But what in your mind was the end game for it? Yeah, I don't think there was an end game. You know, I just I, I was I, I just loved the game. And, you know, the game is given back to me in so many ways. But at that point, you know, it was just about, you know, first it was, um, you know, tr- thinking that I could catch Sonia Henning's state scoring record in Wisconsin, which, to be, to be honest with you, I was always more of a true point guard, pass-first point guard. So, right. you know, there weren't any scoring records that really I was ever going to break. But that was, that was my mentality. That's, that's how I worked. That's how I... You know, I, I had a dad who, while not, you know, a, a true trainer, so to speak, back then, you know, dads were your trainers. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of hours in the driveway, a lot of, like, I'm not going to let you shoot until you can, you know, you're you're big enough and strong enough to do it. And, and you know, just became a really good ball handler and, you know, had the speed and quickness uh, to be successful. So I don't, I don't think there was an end game. In fact... I never anticipated that I would go into coaching, and, and, and it's not because, um, you know, I didn't love the game. I just, you know, all I could think about was playing the game. It was always about playing. It was about, you know, in the WNBA, uh, the ABL existed when I was coming out of college, but the, the first year of the WNBA was the year I graduated from college. Right. So I just somehow thought, well, of course, 
you know, this is the next logical step for me. And, um, you know, when I didn't make Detroit's team and I went into their camp and thought, you know, I can get back here. Like I, I'm capable of playing in this league. And I went overseas and, and I, you know, around January was when the ABL folded. And I just knew at that point that when the ABL folded and all those great players, the Katie Smiths of the world were moving into the WNBA, like there wasn't going to be room for me, you know? So it was at that point that it was like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And I, and I really didn't see myself as, you know, uh, a lifer overseas. Mm -hmm. I just didn't see that in the cards for me. And and maybe it would be different today, you know, but back in, like, 1999, you were isolated over there. There was no FaceTime. There was no Skype. There was, you know, you had to go to an Internet cafe, for gosh sakes, to email sure. home. And so it was just kind of a different time. And, um, you know, I, I got my degree in engineering and thought, okay, this is this is when you're supposed to, like, grow up <laughs> and, and and become an engineer. And so I got back and... I actually applied for a few coaching jobs and I interviewed um, at St. Louis and was a little unsure whether I wanted to do it or not and went on a lot of uh, engineering interviews and I joke with people like when I was in college everyone always told me oh my gosh you're a female in engineering um, you play basketball so you have the whole team sport uh, on your resume like you're going to get any job you want uh -huh. well you know little me like I, I i apply for like two jobs and don't get a call back thinking okay what were they talking about so you know the next set of resumes all of a sudden i'm sending out 20 of them and before you knew it i was interviewing all over the country for engineering jobs and um you know took a job with motorola mm -hmm. and was really excited about working in cellular infrastructure and and moving to chicago and you know growing up a little bit i guess and then i got a call um from my current husband, who was the head coach at Colorado State at the time, you know, wanting me to come out and interview for a coaching job. And I said, no, 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 you know, I'm going to do this engineering thing. I, I should try it. Well, I'm going to call you back in a couple days, you know. <laughs> and a couple days later, he called me back and said, I really think you should come out here. And, and of course, you know, I I did. It wasn't out of my system. And, and I've I guess it's still not out of my system. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> now, do you did you have any regrets along the way? Because you know you you have put in the time, and to be an assistant uh, at at the collegiate level, it's such backbreaking work, and there's so much that goes into it. Uh, not not that. I'm telling you anything you don't know, but obviously yeah. to our listeners to to understand how fundamentally different that is from you know a nine to five uh, path that you might have had. Did was it hard to make that decision? And have you had times where you've thought, you know, gee, I wonder if I should have done that instead? Well, I think it's. I, I'm not sure. It, it's really funny because I really think that. I don't even know what engineering really is because I've technically never done it. So I'm not sure I know what I'm missing out on. So right. I don't know that there's there's a way to say, yeah, I think um, I missed out on something. I, I think there were times when, um, you know, I chose a, a personal life. And, mm -hmm. you know, meeting Tom and marrying Tom and him already being established in his career and making moves for him – and, and my career having to follow him, you know, rarely were we somewhere where 
I could have worked somewhere else in the same city and made it work, you right. know, where, where I could have, you know, where our paths would have diverged. And so um, I, I think the, the hardest part for me was not kind of um, making my own path, you mm -hmm. know, because I think my personality is very much like, hey, um, I'm a strong woman. I can do this. I understand this. I can lead other women. Um, but you know, I made, I made sacrifices for my personal life, um, to be a mom, to be a spouse. And so, yeah, I, I, I was grinding away as an assistant coach and, you know, I, I feel lucky that I learned a lot from him. Um, and then, you know, when, when he got out of coaching and, and I had the opportunity to start to pursue my own path, you know, I, I just felt incredibly blessed to work for really incredible basketball minds and Carl Semesco and Kurt Miller. Yeah. Um, that that did things differently than him and, and gave me another perspective. And, gosh, I played for three coaches in college over that five years, and so I definitely got um, different perspectives from the Lynn Duns and the Terry Mitchells and the Jim Jabers. But, mm -hmm. you know, you, you just you learn differently the longer you're in the game, the more you understand it at its basic level. And then as it gets more and more complicated, you know, working for people um, – who are so highly intelligent and so organized and so good at what they do just continued to give me more confidence that I knew what I was doing. And it's really interesting because, you know, you talk about obviously the dynamic with Tom and there are couples and, and it's a difficult thing, but there are couples who make it work. And, you know, Sandy Brundello has done this for years with, uh, you know, both overseas and, and here domestically. And, and, and I just I wonder, what's that conversation like? And, and what was that moment like, that realization that you had that, you know, gee, this is something uh, where I really have a chance to pursue something that, uh, again, quite frankly, people have talked about is something you'd be capable of and in your future dating back to your time as an undergraduate yeah I think um, you know I, I think it was always there uh, for the the taking in some ways for mm -hmm. me and yet um, you know I Tom gave me the freedom when I worked for him to run the defense and I, and I know it was in that moment you know when I when I went back to work for him at, at Arkansas and I was running the defense and I can still remember, um, you know, we'd had a great year. We were top 10 in the country in defense and we're, we're in the second round of the NCAA tournament and we can't stop Kelsey bone in Texas A&M, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I look at him for the first time all year uh, going into a timeout and said, what do you think we should do? And he said, he looked at me and he said, I gave you the responsibility, you know, this is on you. Mm -hmm. Like, gave me nothing, you know, <laughs> and right. I just, and I kind of turned around in that moment and walked back in the huddle, and I can still remember saying, all right, you guys, remember that 3-2 zone we put in for the Tennessee game, and then they kind of destroyed us in it? That's what we're doing. I know we haven't done it for, you know, two months, but I think, I think we can do it right now, and here's why, you know, and it was, and it worked, and we got all the way back in the game, took the lead, had a chance to win the game on a last-second shot, and I remember talking to Gary Blair after that game, and he said, dang, that was smart, and I said, well, you know, it's got all I had left, you know, in my <laughs> bag of tricks, you know, and pulling it out when we hadn't worked on it for a couple of months was a little scary, because I'm very much a prep person, you know, like sure. I want to prepare, I want them to know what they run, and in every situation, you know, what, what they can expect. And so here all of a sudden, um, you know, we, we went to it and, 
and we did a good job in it. And it was the game, but, you know, it, it gave us the opportunity to win the game. And so it was, you know, that was one of those defining moments for me where I said, I can make those decisions. Like, right. I'm not afraid to make those decisions. And, and some of it was that he simply empowered me to do it. Right. And it seems, again, what's striking to me is the the decision came down uh, for you in Atlanta, and it was almost by acclamation across the lead. People talked about what a great hire it was. And so that's really interesting, in part because this is your first head coaching gig. And so I guess I wonder how you sort of reconcile in your mind making that jump. Is it because you have simply been empowered in this way through the years and, you know, by uh, the places where you've been an assistant prior to now? Yeah, I, I guess. I think I'm telling you the last two days have been overwhelming, humbling. Um, I, I genuinely uh, really in some ways had no idea how many people believed in me. Hmm. You know, I think, when when I got the job offer and I was you know kind of in contract negotiations and and I and I felt really good about where things were headed and at the same time I was I, I was so happy at Connecticut right. I I truly enjoyed that team that staff I mean Kurt gave me a ton of responsibility um, and you know and and I'm like at a good place in my life and so it wasn't something that I necessarily said this is what I have to do like I have to prove to people that I'm capable of being coach I've just not been that way um you know I'm just really comfortable in my own skin at the same time the more time I spent talking to the people in Atlanta the, the better I felt about the decision and um when when it hit Twitter and you know the people telling me like oh my gosh you know this is this has been your destiny since I played with you you know 20 years ago this has been your destiny since you know you know my best friend from middle school like writing on Facebook about like I watched you become a great basketball player and I've seen what a perfectionist you are and and you know so it was those things that just were so overwhelming so humbling um, you know, and as much as anything, as I've picked up the phone and I've communicated with people and I've talked to people about staff and what I want to do and, uh, you know, just the response that people want to work for me, you know, is just unbelievably humbling, you I'm, know, because you, 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 you do, you, you feel like you treat people the right way and you go through your career and, and, um, you know, I, I, basketball is the one thing I've always said, like, you know, geez, I became a parent, and, and here now I've got a couple 12-year-olds and a 10-year-old, and I still feel like every day I'm just trying to figure it out, you know. But basketball is the one thing that, because I've done it for so long, it's the one thing I'm, like, supremely confident about. Now, will I make mistakes? Do I make bad decisions? Do I? Of course I do. But, you know, there's a there's a confidence about the decisions that I make because of all the preparation I've, I've put into them. And I guess that that's really striking to me, and that's where I see some parallels between uh, your hiring and Katie getting hired in in New York, which is you know the conversation about women in coaching. I feel like so often comes down mm-hmm. to these questions about opportunity, and so mm-hmm. you know, and and Katie's spoken about this about the fact that you know Bill gave her. Uh, a lot of responsibility, and, and, and Bill said it flat out, you know, she should be a head coach someday, and now is the time that it ought to happen. Do you feel as if, uh, number one, those opportunities are increasing, and number two, do you think when you put together your staff, 
do you think about it in terms of paying it forward in that same way to make sure that more women have these opportunities going forward? Yeah, I think, of course I do. You know, I've also, I've also worked for a lot of incredibly good men in this profession. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think players deserve to be coached by uh, great coaches and passionate people and people that want to see them succeed. So I've, I've always, um, you know, it, it's a little hard as, as uh, the spouse of a, a male head coach who, you know, was an assistant himself sure. um, for 20 years before he became a head coach. Um, you know, I, I've always said you, you want good people, but at the same time, I'm all about empowering women and I, and I'm honored to be able to lead. I, I think our league is, is such a shining example of diversity and, um, leadership in so many different ways. And, and I've, I've been blown away over the last two years. It's just, uh, the stories in this league. There's so many great stories about the players in this league and, and how they got to where they are and, and, you know, what they're doing about it. And so, um, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, Kurt empowered me. Um, I I think being in the huddle this year, every game, you know, every Mm -hmm. time out and having that opportunity to connect to the players that way, um, I'm sure helped Atlanta feel like I was ready, Uh, you know, but it's, it's that combination of experience and um confidence and you know i don't know i mean that that's maybe a question for the atlanta people because (laughs) you know through the process i genuinely thought okay this is one of those situations where this is going to be i've been in the league for two years we had good success in connecticut this year you know i'm a logical person to interview Mm -hmm. you know this will be good experience it'll be a good experience for me to interview and each step of the way um you know i just thought oh okay well, that I guess that went really well. And then, you know, I, I kind of kept making it to the next step. And, you know, when I was offered the job, I still was thinking, well, isn't there another step? You know, because <laughs> I just it, it just kind of happened a little bit organically. Um, but where in my mind, I wasn't necessarily ever thinking like, yeah, that's my job. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's sometimes when you think things are supposed to they align and and uh you know, a, a year, less than a year ago, I thought there was a couple college jobs that just had my name written all over them, right. you know, for reasons that were in my head. And, and I, you know, I couldn't get an interview. And mm-hmm. so you, you don't necessarily question your capabilities, but you know that sometimes things just have to line up, right. um, you know, for, for it to be the right fit for both parties. And so I just I want to talk about how things lined up in Connecticut. And, you know, there's I, I just wrote a big piece about this, but I would be lying if I said I fully understood just how much you guys were able to make that leap. And so as you sort of think back on it, I'm, I'm curious what you see sort of as the moment you realized that this team was ready to be this good. Because obviously, you know, one in five start, there's, uh, there, there's not much reason to think that you're about to go be a potential title <laughs> contender. And number one and number two, you know, coming off of that 14 and 20 season. So what, what, what happened? I guess I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think there were a couple, couple things happened. I think our team grew up at the end of our first year. I think, you know, from mid-season on, obviously we made the bone trade and we got Courtney Williams and uh, it allowed Cheney to move back to the five uh, and play most of the minutes there. And, and she started to get really get healthy and back in a groove. And, 
you know, we just were really playing well the second half of the season. And I, we, we started so poorly that, you know, we couldn't make up that ground. But, you know, I, I felt like that Olympic break where we had everybody in Connecticut and it was, it was almost like a real training camp. And we, we really got them to understand better why we do what we do and, and their reads better. And so I think we were playing good basketball, you know, when the season ended. Um, and playing for pride, you know, especially the last couple games when we were mathematically eliminated. Mm-hmm. So I think going into the off season last year, we were, we were super excited as a staff. Um, and then December came and, you know, we got news that Cheney, um you know, had, had partially torn her Achilles and, and all of a sudden, you know, as coaches are, it was doomsday again. Like right. here's a player that averaged a double double over the last, you know, twenty games. Um, you know, was so efficient scoring the basketball. We didn't even have to run plays for her. She just she'd run the floor, she'd get an offensive rebound. You know, they were uh and so, you know, there was there was that big hole. And I think it just took us time to figure out how to plug that hole. Right. Um, and, and, you know, in some ways we, we, as, as, as much as injuries can be unlucky, um, or the Eurobasket deal can be unlucky for us, it ultimately kind of laid the groundwork for, you know, making that move and moving Alyssa Thomas to the four, mm-hmm. putting Courtney Williams in the starting lineup. And I, I think our team always believed in themselves. You know, and those first few losses were close. And, geez, we, we lost the Indiana game that we had a lead on the road. And, you know, Jazz Thomas was in her brother's wedding. And Alyssa Thomas was sitting out with a concussion. And, you know, and, and that's a game we, we should have won. And so I don't think our players ever lost confidence during that stretch because they knew uh, we, were, we were right there. And that's what this, the WNBA is all about. There's very few blowouts. You know, games are close. You – you put yourself in position to compete in the last five minutes, um, and, and we weren't we weren't closing. And and so when we made that that move, Kaiser was injured, Tuck got injured. You know, all of a sudden Alyssa's at the four, and we have another facilitator, and we're playing faster. And now she's, you know, as 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 a defensive four player, she's closer to the rim. She's not out chasing right. Maya Moore at the three point line. So. Now she's rebounding even more than she did before. So when she defensive rebounds, we got in transition that much faster. Um, you know, and so we, we started to win, and we started to win kind of going away. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there, there was just a confidence um, that the team started to play with. And we, when we made that move, all of a sudden, with Strickland at the three, you know, you had to guard her. You know, she's, she's not always multidimensional, but she's a spacer. Mm-hmm. And so that created, you know, we always said with Alyssa, you know, being a four, being a three player and trying to drive to the rim, there was always two post defenders that could come help. You know, all of right. a sudden when she's driving at the four, there's one post defender that can come and help. And she's a good passer. So now, you know, JJ's player comes and she can, she can dish it off. So it's just, it made those reads so much less complicated when she would get in the lane. Well, um, and, and and like you said, John Paul Jones too is a, she's both. She's a spacer and she's able to uh, play effectively at the five. When in a way that Kurt was saying, you guys weren't necessarily expecting at the time you drafted her. So that just seemed to add another dimension and kind of take you guys further along uh, the evolution of you know sort of where the lead is going as a whole. But it seems like you're kind of ahead of the crowd on it. Yeah, and it was, I mean, and it was fun. It just became fun. They were having fun. You know, they realized that, 
you know, with a team that, that didn't have an Olympian but had a lot of really good players, a lot of really good pros, you know, I, I think they just really embraced, you know, make the next pass, you right. know, that any one of them could score. And I, there just wasn't a, a, a selfish um, bone in their body. And I'm not sure when Alyssa first moved to the four, she saw herself as a four. Mm-hmm. But as the success came for her, as suddenly she's WNBA Eastern Conference Player of the Week, and then she's an all-star, all of a sudden it was, you know, okay, this isn't so bad, you know? I mean, (laughs) suddenly even if you don't think that's where you're supposed to be, but you're having, you know, enormous success, all of a sudden it becomes the place to be. So, you know, that just, once again, it helped so many things because she was such a good passer and got Strickland shots, you know? And when Strickland's making shots, you know, she's that more much more engaged and and so um you know it was it was a little bit addition by subtraction there right and then when we got the pieces back now we just have more depth you know and we could play fast for longer so um yeah i think it was a little bit of a perfect storm but it was a whole lot of fun that's for sure it it's going to be fascinating to see you know with a finite number of minutes next year but uh certainly the, <laughs> you're, you'll be balancing a different roster and and in Atlanta, there are a number of uh, players who I think are particularly well-suited uh, to be coached by you. And so mm-hmm. the place I'd love to start there is, is with Laser Clarendon. And, you know, for you to come in and uh, be that type of mentor for her as she continues her development. She's grown a lot of ways, it seems, beyond what anyone had uh, reason to expect for her coming out of college. And, you know, her work ethic has sort of allowed her to get to that point where, all right, now she's at the at the All-Star Dam, and now she's at USA Basketball Camp. What do you see for her as sort of the next step in her evolution? Yeah, I think there's no doubt that for us to be successful, that in some ways she has to do a little bit of what Jazz Thomas did mm-hmm. um, from last year to this year, and that's shoot the basketball a little better. She's so good in the mid-range area, and she's so strong, and she does such a good job getting the balance in the mid-range game and facilitating and playing hard. But, you know, she's got to shoot the three better. And and I think there's no doubt when you when you look at Atlanta and you look at their deficiencies offensively, you know, they were the worst three-point shooting team um, and I guess we should say we, I should say we now, or the worst <laughs> three-point shooting team last year. And so while I don't think we're going to turn that into our strength overnight, I think if we could just become a little more efficient, it, it creates better spacing. And I think Jazz's evolution into making threes this year and, and whether she continues to be a 45% type three-point shooter like she was and was, you know, for a while there leading the league in three-point shooting, mm-hmm. it just created so much more space uh, for her to drive, for Courtney to get into space, for, you know, so I think for Lasia, she's just, she's got to consistently make the three. She doesn't have to be a high-volume three-point shooter, but, you know, she's got to hit that kick-out um, open three. Um, you, so, I, I think, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I, I'm curious whether when you think about addressing that, because, I mean, clearly that's the thing that sort of jumps out at you when you look at the numbers uh, from last year in Atlanta. Is that something where there's some personnel changes that help you address that? Or, I, you know, I looked at a team like Minnesota, and, and, you know, Cheryl Reeve made the decision, you know, look, we as a team are going to get better at shooting the three and essentially found a way for everyone to do that. Simone and, and Lindsay and even Rebecca Brunson uh, went and added that 
that shot. Is that an emphasis for you? Are there things you can do as a coach that allow it to happen? So obviously, you know, under your watch, working with Kurt in Connecticut, you know, not just Jazz, but really across across your roster. I mean, John Paul Jones is a 44% three-point shooter for you last year. Right, and I think it's uh, it, it's belief that you want him to take those shots. You know, it's not questioning. You know, when we when we got to Connecticut, you know, we knew that that three point shooting was um, not a strength of that team. You know, and we we tried to address it a little with the draft. You know, in, in drafting Rachel Bannum, mm-hmm. thinking we're, we're bringing a prolific three point shooter. So so we addressed it in a lot of ways, but some of it was just communicating how important making the three was going to be right. to, you know, our, our offense working most efficiently. Um, and then allowing John Quill Jones to take advantage of her, her matchups because, of course, it's much easier to get John Quill a three um, against Brittany Griner than it is, you know, to get Shakina Strickland a three against Maya Moore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just, it's natural for fives to gravitate to the paint to be more wanting to help and be rim protectors and so you know there there are certain things you know as part of why we kept Danielle Adams because right. we thought there were there were moments when she would be able to stretch the floor and we could do creative things with her and so um, so I think you can address it and and challenge them to individually get better Hayes shot a great percentage this year for three um, and and became a legitimate threat out there. I think where people are going to have to guard her. I think she they she's so good off the bounce and so good on the baseline that you you want to space her and and so you know consistently making that shot while not falling in love with it um, is is important. Um, but I think with Lasia especially, I know she's a worker uh, and she doesn't go overseas, which gives her lots of time to to be in the gym and right. do player development stuff and really really develop that you know and I work for a coach in Carl Smesco that believes he can teach anybody to shoot like and become a 40 percent three-point shooter and and I never had worked for anybody like that I had had people a lot of coaches just believe either you are or you aren't you know you're a Maggie Lucas type shooter or you're not you know and it's right. already developed to that point you know and, and Carl Smesco thought he could turn anybody you know into a 40 percent three-point shooter and it was a part of the system and so you know, I've lived under both umbrellas now, where I, where I think I can help players become better shooters if they're you know they're willing to focus on it. Um, and so I think we'll address it some with free agency. You know, we we don't have a lot of room to work in the draft right now because right. we don't have a draft pick. Yep. But I think between you know building the roster the right way through free agency, challenging the current players on the roster to to not suddenly fall in love with the three or start you know, but to become you know, raise your percentage five points. You know, mm-hmm. if you were a twenty-five percent shooter, can we get it to thirty? Like, you know, those type of things. Challenging them in that way, uh, because with so many athletes on the team, they need that space. You know, right. we need to create that space for them to do what they do the best. You know, so I think it's going to be a key component for us offensively is creating space. And so, I'm curious when you think of Angel McCautry. Uh, mm-hmm. In general, her role in the 2018 team, but also, like you said, there's there's this balance, right? You you need to be able to uh, space the floor better, uh, you know, o- offensively. But 
Angel is someone, you know, who obviously her usage is very high. Her three-point percentage has really varied throughout her career. She was only at 30% last uh, in 2016, her last year that she played in the league. Mm-hmm. I think she's something like 28% for her career. It, do you see her as someone who can and should be shooting the three-pointer A, more often and B, at, uh, a, a, more, with more frequency for this team in 2018? I think Angel has to pick her spots, but I also believe that Angel is the kind of player that makes the three in the big moment. You know, I think if you look back at 2016 at Connecticut, we played them four times, and I think she made like 60% of her made threes on the season uh, were against Connecticut in those four games, you know, and you you play the percentages as a coach. Any good coach is going to play the percentages and say, hey, on a ball screen, we need to go under her, you know, and she – She'd hit the three. We fouled her behind the ball screen. You know, it's just she has that big game mentality where I, I don't think she's ever afraid to take it. Um, at the same time, you know, you, you, shot selection is important, taking them at the right time, not forcing them, you know. And, and, and there's always that moment. Like, I, I believe that players coach and I want them to believe themselves. And, that, and there's no doubt there's, there's times when you got to live with a heat check. You know, because that's what makes this league so special mm-hmm. is 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 the talent and and the things that they can do. And Angel just happens to be one of those players that really can go get her shot anytime she wants to, um, especially if we can create the spacing for. Her. What I want from her as she you know gets you know into the 30s of her career and and um, you know is building her legacy. Like, can she be a little bit of a facilitator? Uh, like Alyssa was, because I've seen her do it. Mm -hmm. I've absolutely seen her do it. And, you know, she draws so much attention, and I never want to take her scoring mentality away from her. She's, you know, because she scores the ball in so many different ways and so creatively. But I think she can also create great shots, you know, for her teammates. So if we can start moving people and getting the defense moving and, and getting the players on our team to spaces, in space where they're good as well and, and utilize her some as a facilitator, then I think that makes us much harder to guard. That's something that Candace Parker really uh, did and, and embraced even that much more uh, as she developed into into her 30s as well. So I've that's Absolutely. An, Perfect example. Interesting Perfect pattern example. there. And, and I will say also Elizabeth Williams, who has, uh, I believe, two three-point attempts uh, to her name in her career, <laughs> would love to start shooting the three. I don't know if it's going to be part <laughs> of it, but I know she was very jealous. I remember talking to her about this over uh, at, at the All-Star game, and uh, she was very jealous of all the people who were shooting threes more. So she, she'll be a willing, <laughs> a willing participant. Um, my, I'm sure. My, my, my last question about that and just sort of how, it, how the it comes together is that obviously and, and in part because of the roster you had but also uh in a way that you guys really embraced you were not afraid to go extremely big in connecticut and so you know you referenced the draft pick but there was that was a big move and it was made by uh you know the previous administration uh to uh bring in imani boyette uh and uh trade that lottery pick imani obviously had a really big rookie year and uh, you know, struggled to find the right fit in Chicago and then in Atlanta here in year two. Do you see the two of them in conjunction as a potential solution up front, or is this something where you see it more like uh, one spotting the other and, uh, you know, working in tandem in that way? 
you know, it's interesting. I actually talked to Elizabeth Williams on the phone about that yesterday um, because she hadn't left for China mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just started to communicate with Imani. Like, I'd like to believe we can find a way to play them together. Um, that said, you know, they have to grow to that because I think that when you – the toughest part, for instance, in Connecticut about us when we tried to play Cheney at the four – and bone at the five is we really neither one of them really spaced the floor right um when they were on the perimeter they weren't known as like great passers or great drivers or you know they were both paint scores you know and we let bone you know let it fly a little bit um which was probably good and bad you know in hindsight but you know i i think from a development perspective like what i love about amani even coming out of college but you know as we scouted her was she, she's a great high-low passer, mm-hmm. and I think she can pass from the perimeter, and she's obviously got great size and length, and I think she has a great basketball IQ. Like, that is just the consistent thing that people have said about her, yeah. you know, that she understands the game, you know. But I think at times, if, if you aren't going to take that perimeter shot, you know, then all of a sudden people are backing off, the paint gets clogged, it's hard to go high-low if they're not really out guarding you, they can tag you know, the player in the paint. And so, you know, we have to find creative ways to get them moving so that, that, that we can draw the defense to them. And so I absolutely think they can play together. Um, you know, I would not consider either one of them a stretch four at this point. Right. So, um, you know, I, I certainly don't have um, the knowledge of, of necessarily why they chose to make the move that they did. I just thought at the time that, you know, that that move could put them over the top and put them in the playoffs. Right. I mean, when they made that move, I, I, was, I, I wasn't I was necessarily thinking, wow, that's a, a win for Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, because had all of a sudden they make the playoffs, that draft pick is a totally different pick. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's not a lot potential lottery, you know, pick. And, um, you know, assuming Angel is coming back, you have, like, you know, as good a player as there is in the world, all of a sudden back on your team, right. you know, and you've added a six, seven rim protector. Like I, I could see definitely the value no uh, in, in that move. And even young bringing a veteran wing player, you know, with Angel still gone to kind of help Sykes and Holmes along who is, you know, dealing with some, some foot issues late in the season. So it, the, I don't think the trade, you know, on paper was, was necessarily a bad trade. I'm just not sure that, they found a way to, to utilize it uh, as well as maybe they had hoped to. Sure. Uh, well, I agree with you. Was, like like you said, it was a win now kind of move. And then if you don't win now, what happens then? And so it's it's, right. it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, strategic uh, question, obviously. But be fascinating to see. And, and again, if anyone is uh, built with the experience to be able to figure out how to make those two bigs work together, obviously you, you know, you have the, the precedent as well. So uh, I'm certainly fascinated to see how that happens. But that's sort of my last question about uh, where you see Atlanta right now, because 
it's a real question of where are you on the success cycle, right? And if you think about it, there right. are arguments to be made like, all right, you've got Angel in, you know, in her prime. You've got a team that had three All-Stars last year. And then another way of thinking about it is, well, that team finished 12 and 22. And so, you know, <laughs> know knowing exactly where it falls, I think is an open question. The record could be misleading, you know, as, as you just showed in Connecticut last year. But do you see this as championship aspirations in three years do you see this as you know next year is an opportunity to go for it what what is that like in your mind when you evaluate the arc well I think that you know certainly it it doesn't look like you know our our first year in Connecticut where we had you know three first round draft picks Mm -hmm. and a young team and then traded and got even younger and and viewed that as of course we are going to fight and our goal is going to be to make the playoffs. But, you know, we definitely looked at that as a rebuild. You know, there's, there's no doubt that, you know, we knew it was going to take a little bit of time in Connecticut. Um, I think this is one of those situations that with, you know, a a couple of the right um, players buying in and free agency and really getting this team to play with, with some, you know, offensive and defensive discipline, um, and by that, I don't mean, you know, slow it down and play slow. I mean, right. I think that would be miserable for me and them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, just being better in their half-court execution. You know, the team was as scary as any team in the league uh, in the open court. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you could get them in the half-court, you know, it came down to whether they were going to make tough shots. And, you know, my goal and my job is to – get them to play to better shots, you know, right. it, when, when we're in the half court and not rely so much on them making one-on-one plays in their athleticism, which, you know, wow. I mean, would I, would I want to be less athletic? Absolutely not. You know, but I think, um, you know, so I, I think this team is built to win. Um, and, and what that means in terms of, um, championships and all of that, I, I certainly, um, you know, would err on the side of sandbagging, right. but I, but I, but I think it's a team that's capable of making the playoffs, right. you know, and I think it's a, you know, like you said, I mean, you talk about the three all-stars and then Angel McCautry an Olympian MVP type candidate. And yeah. then that doesn't even include, you know, Brittany Sykes who had, you know, the second half of her season was rookie of the year material and, no and obviously was on the all rookie team. So I mean, th- there's there's lots of talent. It's like finding a way to, you know, kind of get them to play for each other and, you know, feed the hot hand and move the ball when it needs to be moved and, you know, all of that, really getting them to, to buy into, you know, team success um, and all of that, which, you know, I, I've, I've gotten in touch with pretty much all of them now and, and I just – the uh, – they're so excited and I, which made me that much more excited, you know, to like kind of to start this thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, and again, I'm glad you mentioned Brittany Sykes. It should be against the law not to mention Brittany (laughs) Sykes on a podcast. So I'm glad we got uh, a mention of her in there as well. Uh, well, Nikki Collin, I, I'm so happy for you. I know the basketball world is so happy for you, and we're wishing you all the best of luck and really eager to see what comes next. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I appreciate your time as well. Thanks.